Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, worship team. And it's good to be with you this morning. Um, I was thinking about it here. You know, so far, I haven't done anything that Pastor Ray asked of me <clears throat> several months back. I didn't show up last week. <clears throat> and now the message I do have isn't the one I told him I would give. I don't know, in this, in kind of a prophetic world, you kind of, they, they tell you, you got, if it, it's like toast. If it's hot and it pops, serve it. <laughs> so what I told him I would serve seemed to fade in this, this word from the Song of Songs this morning. So we'll trust the Lord for his word out of the Song of Songs. Is that all right? <laughs> well, bless the Lord. So I would like to start by just reading a familiar scripture from Ephesians 5, 25 to 32. This is not a message on husbands and wives, but it is on Christ and the church. And I can, I can to me, it's still amazing to ponder the reality of Christ and the, and the great mystery of Christ and the church as husband and wife. That's a marvel to me. So let's read from Ephesians 5. Verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word. That's rhema, his spoken word to our hearts. Washes, it prepares us that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own body or his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. That's a quote from the first Adam and his bride in the garden when God created Adam and Eve. He said the two will become one flesh. She is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Okay, we are of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So we know that back in Genesis chapter two, when Adam was naming the animals. What did we learn? There was no suitable partner, no comparable helper for him. No creature was worthy to be joined to Adam in marriage, if you will. By the way, I just see Jeffrey Miller here. Thank you for last Sunday taking my place, by the way. <laughs> I just had to say that before I forget. He stood in for me when I got... Snowed in, all right. So 
So what did God do? You know, this, you know the account, right? So as, as the first Adam was put to sleep, he slept the sleep of death, if you will, allegorically. What did God do? Pierced his side, took of his side flesh. It wasn't a rib, it was of his side to make a woman who then became bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And so we have something of a, a hint of a great prophecy of a future, the last Adam would sleep the sleep of death on the cross. A, a spear would pierce his side. Blood and water would flow. Blood for the purchase of a bride. Water for the cleansing and the washing of a bride. So that the last Adam likewise, as the first, would have a bride who is comparable to him. And I, I sometimes ask this, do you think Jesus will be unequally yoked? Isn't that an amazing idea? That you and I can be part of a corporate bride and so washed and cleansed that he can be equally yoked. That's, that's amazing to me. And the question this morning is, how does he bring forth that bride? How does he wash her? How does he nourish and cherish this bride-to-be, if you will. And my thought is, you know, obviously the, one of the primary goals of the Christian life is to be what? Conformed to the image of the Son of God, to become Christ-like so that we are comparable, right? To have, to be washed and cleansed and to walk as he walked. I think it's Romans 8, 29, says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined the destiny of every believer is to be conformed to the image of the Son that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many like him. If you've been born from above, you are the same kind of creature or being that he is. He was the firstborn, the first fruit, the first and the best. But there's a whole harvest of humans who are being baptized into Yeshua as the Messiah, who are being brought into, they have the same, so they're born again. So they have a new, a new genealogy, a new DNA, if you will. That's amazing to me. Now the question is, how does he do that? And I believe, I believe the, the um, primary way that he brings us to this is that he reveals himself to us. He unveils his splendor to the human heart. Now let's think about, you remember the Emmaus Road disciples? They're walking after the crucifixion and after the resurrection, by the way, which they obviously didn't believe or know about. They're downcast and... and, and and reorienting to a whole new reality without Jesus. And a stranger comes up beside them. And he, he calls them, you know, foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke. And this stranger began to expound to them in all the scriptures. And it was Jesus. You know it was Jesus, the resurrected Messiah. 
he begins to expound to them all the things concerning himself from Moses and the prophets and the writings all the way through the Hebrew scriptures. He opens them up. And then they invite him in. He sits at the table. And what does he do? He takes bread. He blesses the Lord and he breaks the bread. And what happens? Revelation. Their eyes were opened and they saw him. It's no accident that their eyes were opened at the breaking of the bread. The last time they saw him break bread and bless the Lord, he said, this is my body broken for you. So something about the bread and the breaking, it's the unveiling, it's the revelation of who he is. And what was the reality as he was expounding the scriptures? What was happening in their hearts? You remember? Did not our hearts burn within us while he spoke to us in the way? What was he doing? He was unveiling himself in the scripture. He was breaking their bread on the revelation of who he was. Their hearts were set on fire by what they saw. I believe this is probably, there's many ways that he does it. This is the primary way that we can have our hearts set on fire for love for him. And I believe that through the Song of Solomon is a journey of our Shulamite as she is nourished and cherished and washed and dealt with by by the Lord to bring her to fullness. And we have eight revelations of of Jesus in the Song of Solomon. Obviously, we're not gonna do eight this morning. I thought maybe we'd do four. We probably can't even do four. We'll see how it goes if the Lord helps us. But let's start with Song of Songs 1.8. We have our first, our first revelation. The counseling shepherd. We might say the gentle shepherd. We might say the uh, kind shepherd. But our subject, the Shulamite, she, say, she says, tell me, O you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? So the, who's speaking? It's our, the speaker's the Shulamite. It's the bride-to-be. The one she's speaking to is you whom I love. It's the beloved. And for for the prophetic significance this morning, that's Jesus. In the natural love story, it was Solomon and the Shulamite. For our purposes this morning, it it could be us and the Lord Jesus. And so she's saying, tell me, where do you feed your flock? Now, the storyline is really simple. She, she, she says, why should I be as one who veils herself? She's, the point is, she's veiled with shame right here. She says things like, you know, I've, they made me keepers of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I've not kept. My heart, my vineyard hasn't been tended uh, I'm now at a distance. I'm, at the, I'm by the flocks of your companions. I, 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 where, do you, where are you? How did I get here? 
And so we have, she's probably in scandal, in sin, maybe an old addiction came back. She loves the Lord, but she's a mess right here, and she's at a distance, and she's saying, how did I get here? Where are you? How can I find you again? And so she cries out uh, to find the Lord. And verse 8 His response, do we have his response up there? Verse, I guess it's verse nine is really the revelation of him. Um, verse nine says this, if you do not know, you don't know where I am, you're, you, you've lost your way, your heart. You know, maybe you picked up an offense. You find yourself at a distance this morning from the Lord. Your heart's no longer on fire for him. He says, if you do not know, O most beautiful of women. And he gives three simple instructions. This is why we call him the counseling shepherd. Follow in the footsteps of the flock. Feed your little goats, not everyone else's, besides the shepherd's tents or in right relationship with leadership. In other words, I'm in my church. I'm leading my flock. You'll find me there. Now that's loaded in itself, but the thing I want to note this morning is he calls her beautiful when she's a mess. Isn't that amazing? He's so kind. He addresses her in verse 9 as my love. She's not being defined here by her weak flesh or by the sin that's been manifest in her life. Whatever happened isn't defining her. She's being tenderly loved and dealt with by this shepherd. And I believe he's, and then he begins the most amazing prophetic ministry over her life. And, he's, and he's, he calls her, he, he compares her to Pharaoh's war horse, which is a symbol of war, zeal for righteousness. He says, you're gonna have zeal for righteousness. Then he says, we're gonna make you uh, ornaments of gold and studs of silver. And it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hint, the symbolism in the love story, it's a hint. We're gonna work so that the divine nature of God shows through your life and that you're used for redemption. Gold speaks of the divine nature, silver of redemption. She will be employed in seeing redemption and salvation come to others. We will do this. This is who you are. This is your destiny. And he begins to speak to the potential and to the call that he has on her life and to call it forth. There's no criticism. There's no condemnation. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that make you love him? It's just, he's not ignoring the mess she's in. He's not in agreement with sin, but somehow he can look past the stuff and he can see the essence of who we are and he can see, you know, it's, it's like, you know, the, the disciples, Jesus said to the disciples three times, could you not watch with me one hour? What did he finally say to them? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Paul said, the thing I don't want to do, I do. And the thing I want to do, I don't do. Lord, have mercy. Guess what? He defines us by our willing spirit, not our weak flesh. As he cuts through that, he speaks to that, and that, that draws us out, and he drew her out. 
I love the kindness and the gentleness of Jesus. This is, has to be reminiscent of Luke 15 where, you know, sinners came to Jesus and they felt no condemnation. They were drawn. Somehow they were drawn. And, of course, we have the parable of the lost sheep. Well, he's a shepherd here. We have the return of the prodigal son. The way he dealt with her here is reminiscent of the prodigal son's return. His kindness. All right. So she's restored. She's restored to the flock. She's restored to proximity, to intimacy with the Lord. She finds him. And in the next revelation, Song of Solomon 1, verse 12, we have, we have this. While the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. She's at the table with the king. And I believe we have here a little bit of a revelation of the affectionate father because what ensues, and I'll quickly give you a quick rundown. You know, I, I like to call it the fellowshipping in the Holy Spirit because we have a back and forth between her and him at the table and where she says, my beloved is to me a cluster of Hena blossoms. In other words, he's pure enjoyment. He's the delight. He's the desire of my heart. He's not burdensome. Then he says to her twice, he says, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. And the word means eye-catching or compelling or bright. The root is really bright. And then she says, and you're beautiful. Guys don't like to be called beautiful, but this is, this is the same word. And then she says, you're beautiful and I am the rose of Sharon. I'm your prize. She's getting a glimpse of of her, how, how he views her. I'm the rose of Sharon. I'm the prize. I'm your inheritance. He comes back in 2-2. Two, two, he agrees. He says, yes, you're like a lily among thorns. You're the pure one. In the dark, broken valley of a broken world, you're the one I love. And then she says, yeah, you're like an apple tree in the, all the trees of the forest that bear no fruit. You're the one who is refreshed with apples. And then he says, you know, um, I sat down in his shade with great delight. His fruit is sweet. He brought me to the banqueting table. His banner over me is, there's just this back and forth affectionate intimacy. I believe it's the revelation of an affectionate father. You and I were made for intimacy with God, for encounter with him. Really, no other creature can know the depths of God like humans. We were made out of love, by love, and for love. I'm the object of his affections. Will I let him enjoy me? One of the, one of the, the little revelations I had from the, from the Hebrew language, the, the word barach, bless, barach, is, is used two ways. It's used of the Lord blessing us. The Lord bless you and keep you. Barah. Now we know that the greater blesses the lesser, right? The blessing flows down. The Lord bless. But you know it's the same word used when, when David said, bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, how can we bless the Lord? And actually the root of that word has, means to kneel in adoration and extend the hand. Now we can picture us doing that for him but it's kind of hard to picture him 
doing that to us? What if he delights in his children? What if he's singing over you this very moment, no matter what happened last week? What if, you, what if he enjoys your presence as much as you enjoy his? Maybe it does flow both ways. When God created man in his own image and in his own likeness, the word image, I think, is salam. It means shadow. And it's kind of like this picture of an, you know, Adam. There he is. To an onlooker, you would look at Adam and you say, oh, there's God. Oh, no, it's Adam. Because he's a replica of God. <clears throat> but the word likeness seems to carry a little more of a connotation of the inward construction of the human soul. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul, a living being. And the hint is <clears throat> the internal construction were created, were built for intimacy with him. So in that sense, the human being is the great counterpart to God himself with the capacity for intimacy and love. This is our primary calling and our primary privilege. Paul prays in Ephesians 3 that we would have power to comprehend how long and wide and high and deep is the love of God. We need power to comprehend this. We need Holy Spirit enabling. We need might in our inner man to overcome all the reasons why we should stay out of his embrace because we're so aware of the sin that yet operates within our, within our flesh. We might get to touch that idea again. So it's the affectionate father. The simple, recall, the simple call to us here is just return to intimacy. You can't fix your life before. You know, we... One of my patterns has been, well, I'll try and clean up my act and then I'll draw near. Guess what? It's backwards. Amen. You'll never clean up your act if you don't draw near. See, this is the mystery and the miracle of the cross. We have, the, we have been declared righteous through our faith in Jesus. That righteousness gives us access so that we can now do business in a context of relationship and intimacy. Now we draw near. We find the mercy and the grace we need to overcome. Then we go out and we overcome in the grace of God. Does that make sense? That's basic stuff. So let's do another one. <clears throat> so what happens to our Shulamite, she enjoys this. And then in Song of Solomon 2, verse 8. I mean, she's, she's still a mess. She just returned. Just returned, found her spot, and, and entered into this kind of intimacy with the Lord. But now it's a new season. In 2, 8, 
She hears the voice. She says, the voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. Then down in verse 10, he says, rise up, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. And basically, come away with me because the harvest is at hand. There is work to do. There are kingdoms to subdue. There are souls to save. There's ministry to accomplish. All right? So he's the sovereign king. He's leaping on the mountains and the hills. Mountains can be symbolic of various things, obstacles to the purposes of God for one thing, or kingdoms and nations who, uh, you know, and so he's, he's, he's leaping on them as a young stag or a, or a, or a gazelle effortlessly. He's, you know, Jesus has been promised the nations of the earth. He's been promised to be king of the kingdom of God on earth. He's been promised the throne of David. He will govern the earth. He's still waiting for these promises to be fulfilled. There's work to do. And so I love the way that, that the gospel of John portrays the Father and the Son, the Father in heaven and the Son on earth. Again, it's, it's the, the Father loves the Son. He gives him everything. The Son loves the Father. That's why he does only the things that please my Father, he said. We have this love walk, this intimacy thing, but what do they do with this intimacy thing? They have, they have a plan to destroy the works of the devil on the earth and to bring the kingdom. What were Adam and Eve told to do from the Garden of Eden, that place of intimacy and encounter? Subdue the earth. I give you dominion. So that, that from this place of intimacy, the next thing flows, we're called to engage with the purposes of God in the earth to see his kingdom come, to take dominion, if you will, to exert the dominion of the kingdom of God. And so... Uh, <clears throat> She hears his voice, come away with me. And she basically goes, uh, I don't think so. I don't like heights, and there's bears and lions up there, and, and, and I, just like, I just like the banqueting table, thank you. Huh. How, how many can relate to that? I, I can relate to that. Just, just the banqueting. The inter that's, that's good. Forget the, let others do that stuff, right? Well, so basically she says then in, uh, uh, she says in 2.17, until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountains of Bether, the mountains of separation. In other words, I can't go there. Fear hindered her from saying yes. The point here, he's the sovereign king. He is sovereign over the earth, but he also is sovereign over our lives. He created us, he purchased us with his own blood. And he can determine 
the call that's on our lives. Now, we know he's good, so we can trust him for that, but he's sovereign. He has the right to ask her to enter, enter the ministry in whatever that call is. So the challenge here is for us simply to re-enlist. If you've just liked the banqueting table, let's just re-enlist and say, yes, Lord, this time. Well, what happens is she says no, he turns and goes, and so we have a break in their intimacy we have a short season of discipline. She has, enters into a desperate search to find him because she can't live without him. He's her beloved. And she finds him. She hangs on to them. She says, I will never let you go again. And then we have the fourth revelation in verse, it's in three, three six to eight. I think, it's, I think I'm right about that the safe savior. He gives this revelation. Who is this coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke perfumed with frankincense or perfumed with myrrh and frankincense and all the merchant's fragrant powders? Behold, it's Solomon's couch or Solomon's sedan. It's kind of this, the picture of this the ancient Near East, you would royalty, you would take the bride to be on this, you would carry her on the shoulders of men in kind of a sedan or a, a carriage or a chariot that was carried by, by people. It's, it's that kind of a, a palaquin, you could say. It's Solomon's couch with 60 valiant men around it. The valiant of Israel, they all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man has his sword on his thigh because of the fear of the night. And the question here is, what will happen to me if I obey the Lord 100%? What will happen if I pull out all the stops and abandon my life to him and let him totally order my life. What will happen if I walk in the Spirit? I know one of, one of the things I say often is it's one thing <clears throat> to obey the Bible. <clears throat> and we need to do that. There's clearly commands and instruction. It's another thing to be totally vulnerable to the Holy Spirit and to go wherever the wind blows and to do whatever he says. That's another thing. And that's probably the greatest test in my own personal life has been to be, to be that available, to cultivate that intimacy and that hearing. Because what will he do with me? He has the right to spend me for bubblegum, if you will. But we know he's good. We know his plans and purposes. And we also know that when we step into our calling, we step into fullness. Yes, this is what I'm for. He's not only using us for his purposes, it's for us. It's how we're wired. And when we fulfill that, we enter into life. So he gives, so he, he's ascending. It's a picture 
of the Messiah of Jesus ascending out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke perfumed with myrrh. That speaks of his death of frankincense. That speaks of his prayer life, his intercession for the saints. And of with the merchant's powders, it speaks about how I believe he purchased us the pearl of great price. In his eyes, we are the pearl he purchased. He ascended in victory. He rose from the grave, ascended in victory. He demolished hell. He made an open show. He triumphed over them in the cross and in the resurrection. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O grave, is your victory? I mean, he trashed hell. The devil doesn't have a legal foot to stand on anymore. When he said it is finished, it's paid for, he purchased everything. And everything the devil's doing is trespassing. He's taking a chance that we won't enforce the judgment written or walk in faith. The point is, it's a revelation of a safe savior. How safe is safe? 60 valiant soldiers of Israel is like 60 green beret, fully equipped for every eventuality. How safe is it? And the couch itself is described, the palaquin, it has bars and pillars, it's protect. You don't fall out of this thing. It's called salvation. It's lined with love and royalty. She's a queen, and she's, you know, in the natural love story, Solomon would be in Jerusalem, and the Shulamite would be carried in this sedan through the wilderness with armed guards on every side, and they would come up through. Do you think they will bring her safely to Solomon? No raiding bands, no wild beasts, no demonic power can touch her. She is protected. It is safe to go all the way with God. That's the point. And I know I'm preaching to me. I want, I want my heart to burn for him in such a way that I can just pull, pull out the stops and go for it. Because that's when we enter life. All right. So the point of the counseling shepherd is simple. Believe that he's good. Just return to him. He will not berate you for having lost your way. He really won't. I always say, you know, if the devil takes you back, certainly the Lord will take you back. Just go home. I mean, the prodigal son could probably hardly believe the father's response. Are you kidding? I deserve this and that. Yes, you do, but... Did, did you ever, let me do this. Did you ever think about First um, John 1, 9, famous verse. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? Remember that? So there's two things. If we confess means just say the same thing he does. Call it what it is. It is what it is. I sinned. It was whatever it was. And if you do that, he is faithful. Well, we, under, we understand faithful. He's faithful to forgive. You can count on him to forgive. He's absolutely faithful. But why does it say and just or right? Why is it right for him to just forgive you because you agree it was wrong? You 
You, want, you can talk to me if you want. Why is it ripe? I mean, come on. I mean, you know, just let you off the hook. No judge is respected who lets someone off the hook. There has to be payment. It's not right. How can he let you off the hook? Because if he doesn't, that means he made Jesus pay and you pay. That's double jeopardy, illegal, and his whole kingdom will collapse because, because righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So just come home. And if you've not been dressing and keeping the garden of intimacy, the affection of the Father, return to intimacy. Before you try and clean up your act, just go in, draw near, because your confidence is not in your works, it's in the shed blood of Jesus. Draw near in full assurance of faith in him. If you're waiting for your works to get in line, it'll never happen. Now your faith is in the wrong thing, you'll, you'll never get there. Just go in you, and, and admit to the mess you're in, whatever, that's okay. Just draw near in full assurance of faith and then submit to him as the sovereign king of your life. And this time, say, Lord, I'll go. Re-engage with the purposes of God in your family, in your community, in your church, wherever you are. And say, Lord, I'll give myself. I love you. I want to love what you love. And you were promised all these things. And I'm going to be part of seeing that you get the reward of your suffering. And then finally, as the safe Savior, I mean, how safe is safe? Trust him. So, Lord, we want to trust you more this morning. I ask for this this weak unveiling, this, these weak words and the, the attempt to glimpse your beauty would set our hearts on fire and would empower us, Lord, to walk closer, to walk in radical obedience and abandonment to you for your purpose and glory right here in Berks County. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.